paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Felicidades, ya se te estaba pasando el tren. ¿Estás contenta? Feliz. Y eso que no te gustan los niños. Que no te truenes los dedos, Valeria. Vas a quedar chueca. Lo que te está pasando es de lo más normal. Cuando uno se convierte en mamá, siente que se está partiendo en dos. Y espérate al parto. Literal, sientes que se te parten los huesos. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Michelle Garva Cervera all about her feature film debut, Who is Suera, the Bone Woman. It is now available on streaming services. If you like horror films, I highly recommend this movie. Even if you don't, I still recommend the movie. Enjoy the interview. So I am so curious about you and your career. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into filmmaking? When I was a teenager... I build a strong fascination with films. I grew up in a in a home. My, both of my parents were industrial designers, and and I had a older brother that he's a visual artist. So it was like a very creative and inspiring arts household. We would go to expositions every weekend or to the, the cinema, and that was kind of like the constant. And then teenager, I I started. Uh, getting in both into punk music and uh, and films, and I got very obsessed. Like I was the kind of teenager that I would watch like twenty movies a, a, a week, and like make lists with my friends of our top hundred films. You know, like very obsessed. And then I would start every chance I had to, to take a film class, like any kind of video class, editing, whatever. I would take it. And uh, I was very sure since I was very young that I wanted to be a film director for some reason, like there's something that was that I knew. And then I started taking courses in the film school here, the National Film School in Mexico, courses that they would give outside of the university, like uh, whatever, like like approach to first approach to film or a film analysis. And then I started, I, I tried to get in and I didn't pass the exam and uh, the test. <laughs> So I started working for other filmmakers that were already in film school, like doing everything, like PA, assistant production, uh, producer, or assistant in art or whatever, really like just taking the coffee. And I worked like that for a year. 
And then I passed to the film school in the second time I tried. And since then, I I never went away. And I did many short films, everything within the horror genre and sci-fi. I was the only one in my grade, at least. We were just 15 students. It's like the public school here. And uh, I was the only one within those genres. And I stayed there. I, I kind of, first it was kind of like a rebellious instinct that I had. Like I built like a strong passion for horror because it was kind of like not the artsy. I, I didn't like my classmates that way. They were all like, you know, like all speaking about Bergman and Tarkovsky. And back then I was very like, I, I didn't want it to, to be like that. I didn't know. I was very like, no, nah, I want to go for like horror films that everyone here said that are like lower level or whatever. Uh, but then later I understood like that actually genre had like such a strong potential and then some of the best films ever are genre. So it, it kind of started like I, I was very young when I got into film school, but then later I understood how powerful it is and started doing like a more profound and mature investigation on it. And with every short film, trying to reach that point to be able to do my feature. What was uh, the test like to get into film school? It was very intense. It was very intense. It's like, uh, it's very hard to get into film school here in Mexico because it's very few places and many people want to get in because it's free. It's, you don't pay. It's four phases throughout two months or something. So first you have like to, like basic uh, knowledge, you know, like uh, cultural and like, literature and like kind of like the four options kind of questions along exam of that type and then the second one it is uh that you watch a film and i remember the time i didn't pass we watched Fanny and alexander by bevman and you have to write an essay about the film you watch the film with like 500 people or something and then everyone goes outside and has like two hours to write an essay and then I didn't pass. That second time I applied, it was an amazing Mexican film called The the Iron Brothers from like the golden era of cinema in Mexico from the 50s. And it's a beautiful film. And that one I passed. And then the third phase is that they give you a theme and then you have to, to deliver a photo scene. Out of four to ten pictures, you have to deliver like a out of one theme, four pictures that tell a story. And then the last one is an interview, but that interview is very intimidating because you're sitting in a long table, like they do, it, they do it in a very intimidating way. And then like eight people asking you difficult questions, you know, like regarding everything, personal stuff or like films, uh, what do you want to do? If you can do a film right now, what would it be? You don't, it's like an hour long interview. It's long, but that was 2009 when I got into film school in Mexico. So it was a long time ago. So you mentioned you have made a, a lot of short films, and I'm curious. Obviously, I don't think the short films can probably sustain you as far as income goes. What else are you working on while you're working on those? Yeah, I had a lot of works, uh, different. I did some recording for a long time for commercials or uh, whatever, really. And um, and then I also did films as a script supervisor, and I, I did some features like that. And I And that was very helpful because I did learn a lot. But I also worked in, I, I, I had many different jobs, like uh, doing uh, be, special videos for some company or like edit, editing. Like I would just like, I was just all around. I even worked for some, a couple of years in a company that they did video mapping, you know, like they would do shows on the pyramids and I would do the editing or the making of videos. And yeah, I, many, I even, uh, I even worked in a 
uh, for friends that had like a vegan food factory for a while. So it was like I was kind of like jumping, but I never stopped doing my shorts. So I was it was every time I had like free time, I would go back to my scripts or or trying to put them together. So who were your crew on those early films? Some of my, my like the main shorts, I was my short films in film school. So this film school, the good thing in the film school in Mexico is that they produce you like very well produced uh, films. Like the, my first short film, it was shot in 16 millimeters. And then the second one was 35 millimeters. So they want you to learn the whole process that that implied in the sense that they would give you one can or two cans and that's all you have. So that's kind of like it goes with a lot of preparation because you can do one take or two takes per shot. So it was really a good way of learning. So my crew was my classmate. And the and there's many actors in Mexico that they go to these film schools and they they deliver their photos or their their curriculums. And then you go to to the office. That that, that was back back then, you know, like we didn't have like a, as much as internet as now, but and then we would look for them and they would do casting calls at school and the actors really wanted there were actors and actors that many of them were also starting, you know, or that they maybe didn't have a lot of words, so they really wanted to work in in student films. So they would it was it, nobody would charge money for those shorts. And um and later and I did another short that more they were more like within friends out of school. And I also got got the chance to do a master's degree in London. I got a scholarship here in in Mexico from the UK embassy and i went one year there um and i did a short film over there that is a sci-fi short that i really love called the original that's the only one i have in english so how did uh come about around that time that i was uh about to go to london and and all I, I i already had like five or six shorts and i knew i wanted to give that step to my feature and i knew i wanted it to be horror so the horror was before the taking the you know deciding what story i wanted to tell but back then, I my mom passed away in 2014, and I was still very affected uh, by that. And I feel like all the process of understanding her and motherhood throughout her loss got me also to see my grandmothers, you know, and uh, and that took me to one of them that she was a woman that left her household. So I grew up with a very dark image of her. I only knew that that she had left. I didn't know her name, her picture, anything. She was like a can- completely cancelled person at home, and kind of like her. The concept of her made me very fearful of becoming someone like that, you know. So, but then later, uh, thanks to to all this this process that I was going through, I started asking the uncomfortable questions, you know, about her, about her life. And it's really crazy what happens when you have access to a story, you know, with all the their aristas and. And I understood she really had a very difficult situation that was kind of very hard to judge. And and I knew back then, like, oh, my God, this is the power of the narrative, the power of the stories, how they can change a complete concept of a person or, or a family. So I was like, OK, I need to make a film that gives justice to this kind of characters that we don't want to look at or that we deny on our families. And that's how it started. And then. Thanks in that company that I was working doing video mapping, I met my co-writer in a trip to Acapulco <laughs> and we became very close friends and she gave very great feedback to the idea that I was building for Wesera. And that was 2017 and we started writing together. It was like 13 versions of the script and little by little, it was a long path 
little by little, we started getting uh, people and colleagues that they would believe in the story and ourselves because it was our first feature. And that's how we, that's how it started. Yeah. How did you manage to get funding for it? So in Mexico, it was very different than in the U.S. Uh, here, here we have the Mexican Film Institute, and without that, uh, like ninety percent of films would Mexican films wouldn't wouldn't exist. I mean, at, at least m- most of the authorial Mexican films, like history, wouldn't exist without public funding because there's not such thing. Like there's not really big companies here, like in Hollywood, that can. Uh, you know like or have that investment to to do films so but now with the platforms that is changing you know but but most of the films have uh mexican film institute support so it's a kind of like the same thing as film school here like you you have to prepare your script and a whole uh submission application i guess which is very long and very bureaucratic and many people submit so you have to sometimes submit several times and there's certain amount of money that from the tax incentives that goes to films in Mexico. So uh, it, around 100, 150 films are produced every year thanks to that. So you have to go through that process and there's like a committee that picks the project. So we want one fund that is for first features that is like a historical fund, which for, for example, Kronos from Guillermo del Toro has, and uh, we want that. And unfortunately, we were the last generation because due to the pandemic, that fund got eliminated. So we were the last batch. It's very small funding, but for us, it was great, you know, and it's more than enough to make a first feature in Mexico. And then we got another fund to complete more of the financial necessities. And then we also won a co-production fund with Peru because we see in the Latin American countries, there's a lot of co-production um contest you know so you submit also it's like and we won that and that was great because uh some of some of the colleagues like the script supervisor and the sound recorder uh like yeah like the sound guy and one of the actors came from peru and they gave us more funding as well so it was years and years of that but at the end we we managed to put it together and then thanks to our distributors in the u.s which are xyz films we got the extra funding that we needed to be able to finish with a post-production. The film looks gorgeous. It is so well shot and just every single frame looks terrific. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about your crew and your cinematographer? Of course, she's amazing. Like, that's why I picked her because even her still photos, she has something that is very instinctive or magical right there's sometimes i see her frames and i see every color there like she's very colorful and she makes it in a way that is very like my talks with her are always very emotional and symbolic and that's what i love it's we really don't we, we really don't focus on the technical aspects when we're analyzing the scripts we actually just recorded a episode for a horror series that is coming out soon and we work together as well and what we do uh her name is nur rubio is that we analyze every scene and every transition from the emotional and the symbolic ways. And then we manage, we, we decide together where the camera goes to tell the story. And then we we do create a lot of like rules, like color rules of like this symbolizes this. And there's like a lot of, a lot behind Wesera that is full of meaning for us. And it was a very long process. We, we did the shooting several times. And we would go to the location, like both the scouting locations and the ones we picked it with our phones. And we would 
edit on camera, you know, like how we would tell the the scenes, like very, very little space for improvisation because we had very limited budget. So we really planned everything out. And then, of course, we had great actors and Mac allowed us to change some of our decisions. But it's very enjoyable. And she's very, as I was saying, she was she used to be an actress before. She actually, she was an actress for soap operas. And like, and so she has something that is very emotional and very, that I love that of Noor, that it's, it's very little technical talk, you know? And she, of course, she knows the whole technical thing, but that, that she goes with her team and arranges that after all our crazy talk. <laughs> yeah, we also really wanted to build a harmonious domestic world full of like, pastel colors like very apparently pretty like very safe space but then make that horrifying so we we were really we actually for some of the horror scenes we were like no let's make this as if it was like the like the first light of the day you know like the morning the early morning instead of like the classic night horror scene uh, because we wanted to give that light horror the horror aspects of that i guess and and then on the other side uh, worlds like the punk world, for example, that you s- that you- is usually darker. We wanted it, that world to feel free. Like actually, that 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 could be the safe space in this film. So we were kind of like really playing with that. And I just love the whole idea of the, you know, our main character's body changing, and then also her body changing. Just the way that the bones and everything moves around because of the pregnancy, but then also just because of what is going on with her, possibly in her mind or not. Just, I, I thought that was so clever. Thank you so much. Actually, you're very right because with pregnancy, it comes like a very important body change, body transformation. But we didn't want the film to be focused on the actual pregnancy because we think that we, we've seen that a lot of times. And of course, that comes with a whole thing, but we wanted it to, to, to be like a psychological, like we wanted to represent the whole enti- entity out of her of her sight out of her feelings and, and emotion that she's going through. So we, we build a, yeah, exactly that. Like the whole entity works like a, like a fort that breaks you apart, like that, that fractures your body deep down. It, like in representation of the kind of feelings that women go through when they're transforming into mothers. We really didn't want it to be specifically about the body changes of pregnancy. It was more about her whole life or, or perception. Can you tell me about your lead actress? Because I think she's in just about every single scene in the film. She is, yeah. Just in the flashback, she's not. But you know what? She was on set because the actress, the, the actresses were more amateur, and she was helping me out to help, like the body and like the expressions of herself when she was a young, a younger, a younger teenager. You know, so it was great because. Actually, she's the one screaming at the teenagers, like the neighbor that screams at the teenagers. That's her voice. <laughs> so she went every single day. We became very close friends. She arrived to the project thanks to the casting director, which actually the casting director is one of the witches of the curanderas in the ritual scene. Be- I convinced her. <laughs> her name is Rocio Belmont. And I've seen Natalia before in theater plays here in Mexico. She's big in theater here. And... It was a long process. It was a very difficult process to find our main, our lead character, our lead actress. And uh, we were about to go for someone else when my casting director was was like, please wait for me. There's one more coming. You have to wait. And I waited and Natalia arrived. And it was immediate that we knew that she was Valeria. I, I was in, completely impressed. She's a kind of actress that 
you believe that she's feeling a bone fracture, you believe that she's looking into a monster. And uh, she has something that she's great with the minimal, like with a small eye change or movement or mouth movement. Like she says a lot with little, she has this huge like Tim Burton eyes, that's what I always tell her. But then she can also take it to cross to the other side in, in tone, you know, which in Mexico sometimes, in, especially like in authoral or artsy films, People or filmmakers are very scared, scared to cross to cross those tonal lines because we're very scared of soap operas. We're very scared to become that. But on the other side, you go to a Mexican dinner or family reunion, and that's how it is. Like people are screaming. Like we're not so contained. We're not like like European cinema. That's not that's not how a family gathering looks in Mexico. So we talked a lot about that and say like, no, we don't have to be scared of that. We just, we really have to have our characters speak like like naturally, like we speak in Mexico City, and she's not afraid of that, and she's not afraid of crossing the line the line to savageness and and breaking down like all the screens that she was going through in the ritual scene, for example, like in the woods. Like she has she she's a very prepared actress as well. Like she worked a lot, like she studied a lot, so she, uh, because she started very young. Her father and her, both her parents are big actors as well. But yeah, it's, she has something that is magnetic. Natalia is not fearful of crossing those tonal lines or limits that many actors are afraid of. I feel like she reaches those. She manages, for example, to scream like desperately, you know, like in the possession style. And she and she makes it, you know, and, and I still believe her, which is to me a mysterious, a mystery, you know, like I don't exactly understand. How does she make it? You know, it's very perplexing. She brought also so much bodily, in bodily aspects to the character, you know, like all this feeling that she's holding a lot of energy and every time she can break down, that's something that she brought. And she, it can sound very conceptual, but she made it very, very tangible on screen, which was very impressive as well. You talked about that end scene or the, the scene in the forest. And that's one scene, and there are a few other times throughout the film, and probably more than I even realize, where you've got some really amazing special effects. Can you tell me about your effects, people? I think that we did a good editing job because there's really not so many effects. We most of it we didn't have a lot of fun, or like money for VFX effects. For for example, we it was the 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 most limited possible. Um, the same with prosthetics because we had a very limited budget. And so a lot of the, for example, fractures is really like two movements and like a little bone now. And it's a sound effect. I think it's many times the sound is more effective and the editing, like the right editing to make it look like there's a bone popping up, for example. Of course, had in the, in the wood scene, a lot of like blurred faces and areas of their bodies, but it was really like dancers, you know, like that they know how to their bodies like that. And a location is like a, it's in the middle of Mexico City. It's a wood that it has this area that looks like a spider web that I thought it was perfect. But we shot it all in one day and it's really, most of it is practical. It's really there and very few prosthetics as well. I imagine though her belly was fake. Yes. That looked really good though. Oh yeah, th that was amazing. The belly was, that especially the uh, bathtub. That's fantastic. And that one, uh, our artist, our prosthetic artist did I It was hours of work for that one, but it looked great. Yeah. Also, like the food scene, 
that was like, uh, yeah, that, that's also a, a prosthetic at the finger as well. Like the one that breaks that those were like models out of the actress's body. What were some of the biggest challenges getting this film done? Staying in love with a project for so long because it was years of trying to get the funds of negative. And I, I do feel very proud that I always thought, like I never let it go. You know, I was always sure that someday we were going to be able to make it. Even afraid of myself losing hope, you know, but I, I did manage to stay there, you know, and to keep on pushing. It was very helpful to hear other directors and about other films, first features, especially that are so hard to put together. So I, I kind of hold it, you know, I was, I was okay with waiting, you know, and being very patient. And even the pandemic affected us a lot. We had to push two times the shooting. It was kind of like a nightmare, but, but at the end, I'm so happy that we, we never let it go, you know? So I think that that's part of the big thing and also but I mean, the right team, you know, because we did, I, I mean, I did try to work with some like bigger collaborators, bigger, I mean, like with more experience, for example. And the thing is that if you don't look to them, like what they think is a director is going to be very hard, you know, because and I'm not speaking only of my gender, but it, it, of course it has to do. And Mexico is also a very sexist country, many places in the world, but there's still a lot of ideas of how a director is and how they manage and the way they have relationships, you know, within the team. And I'm different because I work in another way. So I really had that uh, luck to find the right team that were, that believed in me, you know, like with my short films, they were like, okay, she can do it. That. And I think that that's very valuable because they didn't impose anything to me. Like they really let me work in the way that I wanted and they protected my work you know and uh, and they let me because i am the kind of director that i do invite a lot of the team to work to to collaborate like they I, they have the script months before the filming every actor so they can create a lot of ideas that i actually take listen you know so there's a lot of ideas for examples from backstories of the actors that you can see them in the field so so that's that's something that has to do also with the way I work. And from that, uh, I'm very happy that my producers respected because it could have been, it could have looked like I was letting a lot of opinions, but I think that's part of the uh, cinema process. Well, it was nice that you had, uh, at least you've mentioned, you know, your co-writer is a woman, our, your main actress, of course, your cinematographer. I mean, it was it must have been nice to have women in some key roles to support you. Yes, also one of the producers and my editor for example the production designer it was not that i said like oh i am like all the heads need to be women really they were the, they were the stronger pitch and it has to do of course because also many of them are mothers for example so they were really wanting to work they wanted to speak on a project about all this you know that has like there's no really so much space for them to talk about it but there's also a lot of men involved like the musicians at the production that the, sorry the sound designer so it was kind of like very, it was a very diverse group, to be honest. When was the first time you got to see it with an audience? We had a lot of test screenings. That's how we said. Yeah, with my editor. She's great. She's an amazing editor, like a teacher for me. We had like maybe 10 or 12 screenings with two people, you know, like they would give us notes. But like an official 
an official screening. We had, do you know the festival? Morbido is a horror festival here in Mexico. And we had a, almost one of the last cuts. We had a little screening with like 30 people. And that was, I was so nervous. And because that back then, we didn't know if it was good or like, we were just like, oh, like my little film, like, and it was great. It was very good feedback. Uh, it was, it was very stressful, of course, but it was great. And then the first official one was in Tribeca on our premiere. It was great. It was, I do remember it like with, honestly, I was so nervous that I, I remember it like flashing, like, and I, I'm very lost. It was very intense and, and. I mean, the actress came, like writer, like the producers. It was, it was great. What was the reaction like? It was very good. Yeah, I mean, back then we had no idea. We won the two awards that we were nominated at Tribeca. I was only very happy to see that people went outside, like very excited. And at a school party after Garcia, Cody was approaching the actress and myself, but one talk. So we thought, like, okay, we're having a good reception, and then. If you starting to pop out and they were, they were very positive. So we were like, okay, my God, this is working. But we were really not sure what to expect. And then I came back to Mexico. I was working in a TV series, directing some episodes in, in Rosarito, close to Tijuana. And then they called me back, my, my distributors, XYZ. And they were like, hey, Tribeca is asking for you to come back for the award ceremony. And I was like, no way, no way. And, and the and the production in in the TV series let me go, and I and I was there for twenty four hours, maybe less, and we got the two awards. I was expecting one, but it was also the it was the best new, best new narrative director, and I got that awards like the best female director. It was really a highlight moment. It was very 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 exciting. Of course, that helps a lot for us to got like a good distribution and uh, at the film reaching other people. It also proves myself and my team that the right way is really to follow your guts because everybody for some time everybody would tell that we were crazy, like our project had made no sense. So now it's like okay, all that imposter syndrome. We were very right of really trying to fight it, you know, because we we had. That we, we, we deep down, we thought we had something good, like we had to work for this, but it could have been the other way. So I'm very happy that we didn't. <laughs> what are you working on now? So I'm about to actually go into production soon for my next feature, which is funny because I started writing also with Avia in 2019. So it was two years after we said that we started. And it's also horror and it's based in the southeast of Mexico. An area where my grandparents were from. And uh, we won the funds the same week that we were premiering at Tribeca. So that's wild. And we've been rewriting because it's a very complex project. I didn't know what, what I was going to get it into when I decided to make a gothic horror story. I mean, to me, it was like, yeah, I love Lovecraft and I, and I love those kind of stories. But now that we're really getting into detail, I was like, oh my God, what did we do? This is so complicated. But we are breaking our heads and we, we've been rewriting five or six times already the script, but we're getting to it. Like we're, we're reaching the point that we really like and, uh, and about to film around October and film that. So very, I feel very lucky, you know, because honestly, like it's, it's very usual that filmmakers in Mexico, when they have a, a first film that does well, they, the next step is that they go to the U S that's kind of like the common thing. And, uh, 
And of course, I, eventually I would love to be able to work there. But part of me, I'm very happy to try to show ourselves also in that filmmaking world in Mexico that we can also stay here and create our movies from here because they do well also in other countries. You know, like, it, why do we always have to go to the, like, you know, to try to unify our voices when we can be like, from everywhere in the world telling stories? You know, so my dream, of course, is that, I mean, of course, every filmmaker wants that, but like in, like a style of Korean filmmakers that they are able to stay uh, on Alpodoba, you know, like that's always like everyone is like, oh my God, how do you do it, you know? So for now, I'm just very happy to have the chance to make my second features. Best of luck with it. I'm so excited to see it and excited to see what else you do after that. Thank you so much, Mike. I mean, like, let's see. I, I, I feel for now, I don't want to stay in horror or genre for a while because it feels like a, like a long-term investigation. But let's see where life takes me. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It was a great talking with you. Thanks to you, Mike. It's really an honor. I, like, I know your podcast and I know it's legendary, so I feel very honored that you invited me to talk to you, Sarah. It's great to meet you. You're the bone machine